Mark chapter 16 in your Bible, verses 1 through 8, this is what we're going to be studying this morning. This is, for those of you who have been with us for some time, this is our final message in the Gospel of Mark. Now, see, we've been clapping off and on kind of this morning. I thought there would be some clap. That's okay that there's not. That's okay. There's a time and a place for clapping, right? Some good times and maybe not some good times, but um, Mark 16, this is our final message here. We're going to read actually verses 1 through 20. And we're going to study verses 1 through 8. And uh, the reason we're not going to study verses 9 through 20 is um, there is a very serious question as to whether those were originally part of Mark's gospel. In fact, I, I, I have serious doubts that they were ever part of his gospel. Originally, someone came along and added them afterward. But just in case we're wrong, we have them in our Bible, and they should be marked off very heavily from that. So just in case we're wrong, we're going to read them but we're not going to study them together, okay? So let's read verses 1 through 20 to get us started. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. He said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept, But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, "'Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation.'" Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these things will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Father, we praise you and thank you that that is the truth, Father, that Jesus is risen. He is alive. And Father, that is the good news that we have to proclaim to the whole of creation. God, we praise you for that. We thank you for that, God. I pray that we would live in that truth. In his name we pray, amen. Well, if you lived uh, during the 80s, you may remember the ending line for every G.I. Joe episode. (laughs) Do you remember what that was? 
they would, they would have a kind of a public service announcement, kind of a cheesy little thing, but then they would say, now you know, and knowing is half the battle, right? You remember that? Some of you are like, no, I don't know what that is. Okay. The idea there is what you believe to be true, what you know is half of what's important. Acting on what you know is the other half, right? Uh, in that's true in life, isn't it? What you know is important, what you believe is important, but then what you do with what you believe is just as or even more important. Um, having the right information can lead to doing the right thing, while believing wrong information definitely leads to actions that are wrong. It applies to each of us every day. We make decisions based on what we believe to be true. One of the biggest decisions facing many today is whether they should take the COVID vaccine, right? Right? And there's a lot of talk out there. And there are some rational and some irrational um, beliefs that people have for why they do or do not take the vaccine. Some people have chosen to take it and some have chosen not to. The decision is based on the belief for those who have taken it that they're potentially sparing themselves from having to endure the effects of this virus or potentially sparing spreading the virus to somebody else, right? Those are some of the main reasons that people have taken the vaccine. Others have taken it because they know eventually you're not going to be able to fly or travel or do a lot unless you have the vaccine, so you just might as well get it now. For those who have chosen not to take the vaccine, again, there are some rational and irrational reasons that people have decided not to. Some people have said, I've already had the, vi the virus, why do I need the vaccine, right? Some people have said, I don't think that it's really going to protect me from all of the various strains that have already started to spread out there. Other people have a conscientious objection because they say that during the development and or testing of the vaccines, it, it was brought about by uh, testing or development on cells that were brought from an aborted fetus in the 70s. And, and, and doctors have been using those cells since that time, replicating those cells and testing and developing on those cells. And they say, look, even if there's something good that comes from that, I want nothing to do with it. And what it, some of those are direct, some of those are indirect, but there are real and unreal reasons for not taking the vaccine. Some people believe that there is a microchip that can somehow make its way through the needle into your skin that the government can track you, right? Again, real, real and unreal information. But it's the information that's available to the people and what they believe about that information that causes them to act, Right? This is what I know to be true, therefore I'm going to take the vaccine. This is what I know to be true, therefore I'm not going to take the vaccine. Whether that information is real and factual or not, their belief leads to their action. So what does this have to do with Mark 16? Well, it has everything to do with Mark chapter 16, because in Mark 16, Jesus is alive. Let me say that again. Jesus is alive. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> Amen. But the people in this passage don't believe it. They don't believe it. They, and we see that because of the way they act, the things that they do, the things that they say. They're going to be acting in ways that reveal what they believe about Jesus. Everything they do will stem from the belief that He is still dead. And we're going to see this morning that the same is going to hold true for us. What we do, the things that we start doing, or the things that we're not doing can reveal a lot about whether we believe that Jesus is alive. Now, on Friday, that was, that was correct. Jesus was dead, right? They were not wrong. Back in chapter 15, verses 33 to 41, we studied it together. The women, Mary Magdalene and, and another Mary and Salome, they saw Him die on the cross, right? 
In verse 37, it says, Jesus breathed his last. Uh, The centurion was there. He was the captain of the execution squad. He's a seasoned soldier. He knows death when he sees it, right? He says, truly, this man was the Son of God because he's dead now, right? Past tense. They all saw that Jesus was dead. In fact, Pilate was surprised. He said, he's dead already. So, he sent a Roman soldier in chapter 15, verse 44, who answered directly to the governor, if he's wrong, he's going to be killed, right? He said, go check and see if he's dead already. He comes back, yep, he's dead. John 19, we know that one of the soldiers, again, pierced his side and watched blood and water flow out of his side. So, everybody knew on Friday that Jesus was dead. Joseph, as we saw last week, went to the cross and took his body off of the cross, right, and carried him into a tomb. If there was even a thought for Joseph that Jesus might possibly still could maybe potentially be alive, he wouldn't have taken him to the tomb and sealed him in there, right? He'd taken him home or something. We learned from Matthew 27 that a guard was placed in front of the tomb. It was sealed, and, and we know from history that they would have gone inside and checked. Yes, his body is still there, and sealed it, uh, rolled the stone in the place and sealed it up, and yep, they are guarding it with their lives. Again, there was a, a squad of 16 soldiers, and they would rotate in and out. The whole time that they were guarding, they needed to stand, and they had, what was it, six square feet um, of, of space that they were supposed to, to guard, and they couldn't, they couldn't sit they couldn't rest. They couldn't even lean on anything. They, they couldn't stand and watch. And you, that was with their life. If any one of them did fall asleep, the guard who fell asleep would be beaten and burned alive in his own clothes, and the rest of the squad would be executed. So, with their own lives, they're guarding this tomb to make sure nobody gets in and nobody gets out. So, he died. It was tested. It was certified. They enclosed and sealed his body, and they're guarding it with their lives. The women were not wrong on Friday that Jesus was dead, nor were they wrong on Saturday, the Sabbath, when the guard was posted and it was sealed. But that is no longer the truth, right? Sunday morning, here we are on Sabbath. The Sabbath is past now, um, and now we're here on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, and it's no longer true, but they're still acting like it is. We know that's what they believe, because even though Jesus is alive, where are they going? It says they're going to the tomb, right? Jesus is alive. You don't go to the tomb. (laughs) What are they doing? Why are they coming to the tomb? Because they're going to anoint his dead body with spices. There's no dead body, (laughs) right? Why are you acting this way? What are they worried about on the way there? Who's going to roll away the the stone from the tomb so we can get to his dead body to anoint his his dead body with spices, right? Everything that these ladies are doing is based on their belief that Jesus is dead. The question for us this morning is, are you living, are you speaking, are you acting as if Jesus is still dead? Let's work together through the passage. Let's study it. We're going to see a progression that's going to echo our own experience of acting on wrong beliefs exposing wrong beliefs through our actions, or showing us where we say we've believed but maybe haven't quite understood what it means to believe that Jesus is alive. It may help us see these things. Now, one question that may be burning in your minds is, uh, this isn't Resurrection Sunday, that's next week. This is Palm Sunday. How come we're not studying the passage on Palm Sunday? Well, this is the way that our study in the Gospel of Mark has gone. We arrive here at this passage on Palm Sunday. But it's also a blessing for us because, look, Jesus is alive every day, not just on Easter Sunday, right? And that is going to have an effect on our life every day of the week. Remember that Palm Sunday, 
um, thankfully was read this morning by Pastor Tom um, with us. We studied and read it along. We didn't study it, we read it. But remember, that was the day that Jesus came into, the Jeruz- into Jerusalem. He was enjoying the praise of all the throngs of the people, right? They, they lined the road, they laid down their clothes and, with palm branches, and, and they hailed Him as the one who came in the name of the Lord, the Son of David. They shouted, Hosanna in the highest, right? That's what happened on Palm Sunday. But we saw how quickly they transitioned into the shouts of, crucify Him, crucify Him, right? And then they mocked Him as He hung on the cross, and He died, and He suffered the Father's wrath in darkness and shame. And they never recognized that the reason that He had been killed on the cross was not because of anything He had done wrong, but because we all have done everything wrong in rejecting God, His law, and turning to sin. See, when mankind turned from God to sin, we became hopelessly lost and helplessly unable to save ourselves or repair our relationship with God. You remember how God made us, how He fashioned us? In Genesis, He tells us that He he scraped up some dirt, (laughs) and then He made it special. He formed it into His own image. He breathed life into it. Ordinary dirt made special. That's us. That's you and me, right? Right? Each individual person is unique and special to God as His highest creation, part of His highest creation. But we chose sin instead of God. Instead of obeying Him, we chose sin, and it brought death rather than life. So now our bodies, when we die, return to dirt, right? But there's still that special part inside of us, that immaterial soul part that will remain forever. The problem is that sin also killed that part. And that part doesn't go to dirt. That part remains forever. And the only Savior for the immaterial part, the soul, the Spirit for us, is God Himself who resurrects us by His Spirit with new life from above. We must be born again by the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus says, right? And He does that when we believe in Him, when we've turned away from our sin. We believe in the only perfect human being who sacrificed Himself under God's wrath and gave us his perfect, sacrifice, his perfect righteousness in His sacrifice. By God's grace, through faith in Jesus, when we turn from sin to belief in Him as the one Savior who died, who could die for us, but rose from the grave, that's when we have a resurrected new spirit and life within us. This is the fact. This is the truth, and we must believe it to be saved. Right? Amen? Many of us have said we believe that, including the resurrection of Jesus. But what would it look like if we really did believe that? What would it, how would your life be different if you believed in the resurrection of Jesus 364 days of the year instead of just the one day on Easter Sunday? Well, let's see the progression in Mark 16 in three parts, and it will reveal to us what it looks like to live and act as if Jesus is still dead, okay? So, number one, in verses one through four, we're going to learn and be reminded that wrong beliefs lead to wrong action, okay? Wrong beliefs lead to wrong action. We see the women here, along with the disciples. Where are the disciples? Do they act like Jesus is alive? <laughs> they're in hiding, right? So, they're, they're, the soldiers um, have run away. Everybody else thought Jesus is still dead, except the soldiers that saw this, right? But the women still believe. And, and so, these, there are four actions that show us their disbelief and how their actions are living that out. A, the first one in our notes in verse 1, they acted out of worldly tradition. Worldly tradition. Because they believe Jesus to be dead, they resort to traditions of men to care for His body, right? His dead body. 
They brought spices to anoint his body. Now, you remember Nicodemus and Joseph had already anointed his body with 75 pounds of spices in John 19. There really wasn't any reason for these women to do this other than they're trying to show him posthumous love, right? Posthumous love by covering up the stench of his decaying flesh. There's there's no reason to go into this dead body. This was just a human way, an earthly way to show care for somebody after they've died because they're going to stay dead, right? That's their assumption. That's what they believe to be true. So they resort to worldly tradition and action, living out their belief that Jesus is dead. Now, listen, when we live out worldly traditions, we resort to the ways of the world. It's because we've never truly believed that Jesus is alive and risen from the grave, or because we've gone temporarily spiritually insane and we've forgotten that Jesus is alive, right? We're not living as if He's truly alive. That's Paul's point in Colossians 2. I want us to turn there. Turn there with me, please, to Colossians chapter 2, so you can see the amazing truth of Jesus' resurrection and the effect that it has on our life. Paul's never been to Colossae, but he knows these people have the true gospel. They believed in Jesus. But sometimes we fall for human tradition. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. But see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Why? Well, because in Him, the whole fullness of deity, of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead." The powerful working of God raised Jesus from the dead, and you who were dead, remember what we said at the beginning, in our spirit, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. (laughs) When we believe empty philosophy from the world and empty deceit, we're showing that we don't really believe in God's power to raise Jesus from the dead and raise us up spiritually as well. They're totally at odds with one another, what the world says and what Jesus says. He says, as you received Christ, he says earlier, the hope of glory, that's who Jesus is. Do you see this connection? When you believe in Jesus, when you've truly believed in Him, you're buried with Him in baptism. You're raised through faith in the powerful working of God, and it's the same power that raises us up spiritually from the dead spiritually. But that spiritual resurrection that we experience in salvation not only cancels our debt of sin to God, here's what He says, it overpowers, it disarms the rulers and the authorities of this world that are under Satan's control and puts them to open shame. And our belief in the risen Jesus replaces what we saw in verse 8, philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. 
All that stuff comes from the elemental spirits of the world and from the control of Satan. All of that stuff that is, is contrary and opposed to God. It's not from Christ. But when we choose to go back into that, it's because we're questioning. Do we, am I believing the resurrection of Jesus? Am I believing that He resurrected me in my spirit? We're doubting or disbelieving Him in His resurrection. When do we do that? When would we buy into the world's systems? When would we buy into the traditions of men? When we listen to the world about what it means to be a man. What does it mean to be a man in the world? You go to work, you come home, you sit down, and everybody leave me alone, right? I'm tired. <laughs> I'm going to kick my feet up. I don't need to be bothered by anybody. Leave me alone. When the world tells you what it's like to be a woman, right? You do anything, anything you want, whatever you want. It doesn't matter what anybody says. <laughs> you just do whatever you want. And you don't listen to anybody, you don't answer to anybody, you just do whatever you want. And that's not just for women, that's for men as well, right? When the world tells us, as, as a teenager, as a teenager, you know, you're supposed to rebel, you're supposed to hate your parents, you're supposed to hate authority, you're supposed to push against all that stuff. You can't listen to any of that stuff because you're a, you're a teenager, the world says, right? Therefore, you're going to be rebellious. Well, I guess if I have to, you know, I'm going to listen to what the world says, that's what I'm going to do, Right? That's not the way of Christ. When you're listening to the world about what leadership looks like, when the world's telling you what to act like, what to look like, what to talk like, what to listen to, what to watch, we're falling into the traditions of the world and we're saying, you know, Jesus, I don't have anywhere else to turn for wisdom because you're still dead. I've got to listen to the world. So to follow those ways in our actions reveals that we do not, at least at the moment, believe that Jesus really is alive. And all that he said is true, and all that he said is real, and all that he says is wisdom and righteousness and perfection. And we've got to listen to him instead. If he's still dead, you don't have anywhere else to turn. And we've just got to try to figure life out the best we can and, and listen to what the world says and evaluate all of that. But he's not dead. He's alive. So his words are life to us, and we don't need to fall into worldly traditions. That's what the women do here. We can see it in ourselves when we live this way. What else do the women do? In verse 2, B in our notes, they acted out of shame. They acted out of shame. Look how they carry out their actions in verse 2. It says, very early on the first day of the week. Uh, now, it says when they get to the tomb, the sun had risen, but the words very early in the original refer to before the sun comes up. And uh, people look at the Gospels and they say, well, this Gospel says it's very early before the sun comes up, and this Gospel says the sun's up, so what's going on? <gasps> Contradiction. Bible's not true. <laughs> and we know that what's happening is they leave while it's dark, before the sun comes up, and when they get there, the sun is just rising. They've come to the tomb under the cover of darkness. They don't want anybody to see or know what they're doing. They're coming to this place of shame and uncleanness and death. And, and there's a love for Jesus, right? They, they, they love Jesus. They want to do something nice for Him. They want to honor His memory. But that's as far as it goes, right? They don't believe He's alive. They're ashamed of how monumentally He's failed in bringing the kingdom of God. And so, you know, under the cover of darkness, I'll come and, and I'll do something nice for Him. You know, how, how often do we do that in our life? How often do we live in the shame of Jesus and His death and His resurrection, His message, you know, how often have we, I need to share the gospel with that person. I know God is telling me I need to share the gospel with that person. They're open, they're ready, but I just, I'm afraid they're going to think I'm weird. Right? I'm, I'm, they're going to think I'm strange. 
right? I don't want to do that. You know, something good happens and you're in the, you're in the mixed company. You've got some Christian friends and some non-Christian friends and you, you would say, oh, praise God for that. But well, those non-Christian friends, they might think I'm wacko, right? So I say, oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, just in our speech, just in, in the way that we conduct ourselves and live our lives. I mean, how often do we live ashamed of our Savior who's alive? If he's dead, you can be ashamed, <laughs> right? We don't need to listen to any of this stuff, but he's alive. When we really believe that Christ is risen from the dead, it won't matter what anybody else thinks of us. We're living for Him, our risen Savior. It's the greatest truth and the greatest message that saves us. Do you remember in Acts 26 when Paul was being interviewed by Festus and Agrippa? But Paul is preaching the gospel, and he says, this Jesus is risen from the grave. And Festus says, Paul, you've gone crazy. You're insane. You remember that? <laughs> That's what the world's going to think. That's, I mean, the Bible tells us that's what the world's going to think. We don't care what the world thinks about this message. This is the message that saves us and that we live in, and it's the message that we share with them in love, even if they don't love us back for sharing it, right? Now, listen, this is becoming more of a reality every day in our culture, where the world is not going to be appreciating this message of Jesus Christ. Figure out right now, today, whether you believe in Jesus Christ, His message, His words, His gospel. Because it's going to be really hard to try to figure it out when you're in the midst of a lot of persecution or a lot of trouble that may come. He is the one who died to save you and rose from the grave. Decide today whether there's anything else or something else that's more important or more relevant that you believe instead. Now, we urge you <laughs> to believe in this message. There is no true message apart from this. But the world is going to be calling Christians to bow to the whims of culture rather than to the words of Christ. And we need to be standing firm on that. The world will find our message of Jesus' death and resurrection shameful. It's a stumbling block, the Bible tells us. But what did Jesus say in Mark 8, 38? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the power and the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We can't be ashamed of him and his words, what he's told us, what he lived, how he lives now. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. He's alive, no matter what the world tries to tell us. So the ladies here acted out of worldly traditions, and they, they acted out of shame. But third, see in our notes in verse 3, we see them act out of worry, they acted out of worry. In verse 3, they're speaking to one another, and they say, who's going to move the stone from the tomb? <laughs> and in case we're wondering, verse 4 tells us they should be worried that, because the stone is large. This is a really big rock, okay? It would have been four to five feet in diameter, about a foot thick. It would have weighed hundreds of pounds. Not only that, when it was rolled in front of the tomb, there was a slot there, and it kept it in place. So you've got to try to get up enough momentum to get it out of the slot and roll it out of the way. There's no way that they could do it themselves. Even a single man wouldn't have been able to do it himself. Who's going to help us? There's no one around to help us. And guess what? If Jesus is dead, they're right. Where are the disciples? They're all hiding. What random stranger, if somebody, if they happen to see a random stranger, what random stranger in his right mind is going to say, sure, I'll help you break into this tomb where there's a you know, dead guy decaying in there, and you can put spices all over the body. Yeah. No, that's not going to happen, right? But they're worried about something as insignificant as a big rock. 
And if Jesus is dead, again, you have every reason to be worried about big rocks and little rocks and big problems and little problems, right? You have every right to be worried and anxious and have nowhere to turn. It's no wonder so many in the world struggle with worry and anxiety because where else can I turn? I don't have somebody true. I don't have a risen Savior in the world. But we do. And yet, how often do we get worried as Christians about insignificant things? And I'm worried about what people might think of me. I'm worried about how tomorrow might go. You know, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. Jesus Christ is risen from the grave, right? (laughs) I mean, if Jesus can die and still in his death hold the entire universe together by the word of his power, he can rise from the dead, conquer sin and death and hell and Satan and the world. What in the world could he not conquer? What's stronger than Jesus (laughs) who's alive after being dead? We can worry about a lot of different things needlessly. One of the areas that we may wonder about and worry about is, you know, maybe I don't have to do anything for the Lord. I'm just one person. It doesn't really matter. I can't serve like he does. I can't teach like she does. I can't sing like those people. You know, I can't. It doesn't matter. It's not really that big of a deal, right? When we think and act that way, we're disbelieving Jesus' resurrection, that he's alive. You remember 1 Corinthians 15? It's a really nice long chapter. I wish we could just read that whole chapter. 49 verses of just Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's alive. Here's proof. Here's the reason it's so important. He's alive. He's alive. It's amazing, right? But at the end of that, verses 56 to 58, after the resurrection and after he's coming back again because he's raised, he says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because that's true, because he's alive, because he's given us the victory, therefore, my beloved brothers, what does he say? Be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, you can know this for absolute certainty, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Everything that you do for the Lord in church, at home, at work, at school, in the grocery store, it's not in vain because Jesus is alive, right? That is his whole point in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus is alive. Therefore, you're going to be steadfast and immovable and serving him, knowing that whenever you serve him, everything you do is going to bring about his purposes. It's not in vain. Believe in him because we know these things for certain. There are so many verses that I wanted to take us to, so many things we, we can see from this. Because Jesus is alive, therefore this. Because he's alive, therefore this. Okay, in Romans 8, you're familiar with the promise in Romans 8, right? That nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because nobody can bring a charge against God's elect because God justifies us. How does he do that? There's nobody that can condemn us before him because Jesus died he says, but more than that, he was raised. It's, it's not just because Jesus is God. It's not just because Jesus died. It's because he raised from the dead. Because he raised from the dead, therefore, we are not condemned. We can't be accused. We cannot be found guilty before God. Because he died, but more than that, he was raised. There is no worry or anxiety in Jesus Christ. He loves us because of his death and more than that, his resurrection. Your notes uh, may have 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 23, that should say Ephesians 1, that was uh, my mistake there, but we don't have time to go to this verse, but he is, we have hope in our head over all things, the head over all things, which is Jesus Christ, because of the all-powerful God who raised him from the dead. We have hope in him. First Peter 1, 3 is going to tell us, and, and Lord willing, we're going to be looking at these verses. His resurrection gives us a living hope, a living hope. And it's a hope not that the world knows. It's not the hope that, you know, I hope my favorite team is going to win, and I hope that lunch is good this afternoon, and I hope that we end early, and, you know, the worldly hope that's not going to come true. <laughs> it's the absolute certain hope. It's the, this is going to happen, I know it's going to happen, it's just a question of when hope. It's not the same kind of hope that the world has, but he, because he is our living, resurrected hope. Now, this doesn't mean that nothing affects us. This doesn't mean that we go around and we're never going to get sad, and we're never going to get worried, and we're never going to, you know, we're just bulletproof and 10 foot tall and nothing ever impacts us, right? That's not what he says at all. When those things happen, what is the truth that we turn to? Do we live in the, in the sorrow and the misery and the grief and the sadness and despair and depression? Do we live there in that place? Or can we be pulled out by our risen Savior when we believe it and know it and act on that? That's what we're learning. That's what we're seeing. So we can live out worldly traditions when we don't believe in the true belief, the true resurrection of Jesus. We can live in shame. We can live in worry. But finally, these ladies in verse 4 act out of sadness. You know, often in the midst of worry and shame, there's sadness. And you see it here in these ladies as they walk. As they walk, they're looking down. They're just, who's going to roll away the stone? I don't know. You know, when we get there, what's going to happen? I, I don't know. When they get to the tomb, they have to look up to see it. Now, the tomb was low. You'd have to stoop to get in. It's not like it's up on this mountain. They're just looking. They're so downcast. And they don't know what's going to happen. They're worried. They're sad. And as they see the stone there, the, the, the word that's used is, what? <laughs> this is something unusual. This is something completely unexpected. They stare at it. The huge stone that all of them together, even with at least one other man, wasn't going to be able to move is suddenly moved already. The Roman guard is gone and everything is just different. What's going on? We see this, this sadness, this looking down, being downcast in these ladies. We see it also in Psalm 42. And you don't have to turn there. Somehow time is just running away faster than I'm even talking. And I know that <laughs> sometimes when I get excited, I start talking fast. Psalm 42, this is what the sons of Korah say in this psalm, okay? He said, they say, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For who? The living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He says, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where's your God? You're in sadness. You're in despair. You're crying and your tears are, there's no God. There's no living God. What are you doing? Why, do you, why are you even trying to hold on to any hope? He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He says, I, I remember I used to lead the people into worship God, and this was a happy time. He says in verse 5 of, of Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. 
My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. I remember you, the living God. I hope in this God. And it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we see that He is the Son of God. That's what Romans 1.4 says. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. By His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the same God, the same living God who gives us hope in the midst of sorrow and sadness. Because He rose from the dead, we have hope in Him. And because we trust in Him, because He rose from the dead, we are not guilty before God. There is no condemnation. Again, Romans 4.25, you are justified before God because He rose from the dead. So even in times of sadness, even in times when it's appropriate to be sad, and, and there are things that might worry us, when we allow those things to overcome us, one of the reasons is because we haven't believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that He is alive. Well, those are four ways that a wrong belief will lead to wrong action. We can see these wrong actions in ourselves and we can say, what am I believing? What am I, who am I listening to? What's going on in my mind and in my heart that leads me to so much sadness or shame or worry or just turning to the world for answers? What do we do about it? You know, if we see these things happening, we see this in our life, and so often we will, so often we'll be impacted and we'll fall into these things. What do I do? Just try to get better? You know, I'll try better next time. I just have to get better. Well, what happens to the ladies here in these verses in Mark 16? Number two in our notes, correct wrong beliefs and actions with truth. Correct the wrong beliefs and actions with truth, verses five through seven. In verse five, they go to the tomb. And they see a young man. We know that this is an angel from the description and from the description of the other Gospels. Uh, He's dressed here in a white robe. Instead of Jesus' dead body, they see a living young man in a white robe sitting on the right side of the tomb. And they're, um, well, to say the least, surprised, right? (laughs) It says they're alarmed, awestruck, maybe. But in verse 6, the angel begins to correct them, to correct their beliefs and their actions. But he does not begin with the symptoms hey, don't be sad. Don't be worried. It's okay. Everything's going to work out in the end. That's not what he does, right? That's not what he says. He goes straight to the origin of all of this, the belief in their heart. Don't be alarmed. Why are you surprised? Jesus is alive. He told you he was going to rise from the dead, right? What are you surprised about? You're seeing things you didn't expect. You're, you're kind of in a state of shock right now, but you shouldn't be. He's alive, so correct your beliefs. Correct the heart and mind what you're thinking and feeling. Just so there's no question here, you're here looking for Jesus of Nazareth, right? The one who was crucified? Yeah, the one who was dead? Yeah, he's not here. (laughs) Right? You're not in the wrong place. You haven't gone to the wrong tomb. You're not looking for the wrong person. He was here, but now he's not because he's risen, right? Look where they laid him. He's not there anymore. The first thing that needed to be corrected was their belief, not their actions, you know, so we don't get down on ourselves like, oh, I'm, I'm in sadness. I'm living in sadness. And, oh, I just need to stop that. I need to try to get better. I need to, no, I need to fix whatever's going on in my heart and my mind. Fix why, you know, am I not believing in the, the risen Savior who, can, who has redeemed me from all of the sin and sadness of the world? What, what's going on in my mind and heart? Start with the beliefs and the thoughts and the feelings in our minds and hearts. Now, because your belief has been corrected, the fallacy that you believed has been corrected, based on that, now your outward actions need to look different. 
right? That's what the angel tells them. Instead of skulking around here at the tomb, trying to follow world traditions, trying to be ashamed and worried and sad and all those things, go. Get out of here. <laughs> He's not in here. Go. And don't just do whatever you want, but go and tell his disciples. Yeah, those guys that aren't here that are in hiding because they still believe that Jesus is dead, go tell them he's not dead, right? Fix the beliefs and then fix your actions. Go find him, including Peter, right? Peter had cut himself off. He's like, ah, I can't be a Lord's disciple. I can't, I can't follow him anymore. I denied him three times emphatically in front of all those people. I mean, he was going to make me a fisher of men. Now I'm just going to go back to be a fisherman, right? And he, we see him do that. He's, he goes and fishes and the other guys come with him, but Peter will learn you can't cut yourself off from the Lord. You can't cut yourself off. You can't cut somebody else off. Your sin is not going to keep you from the love of Christ, the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, right? When you belong to Him. But it's the truth of God and the truth of the resurrection of Jesus that corrects our belief, that corrects our thoughts, and leads to the proper actions. Because you now have been fixed inside, because your beliefs inside are now true and real and full and strong, now go act on that. Act on what you know. Go and tell. Notice the authority that the angel uses at the end of verse 7. He says, I'm making all this stuff up as I go, but I hope it makes sense, right? He <laughs> says, just as he told you. He, he already told you this was going to happen. Just remember his words, the word of Christ. Mark 14, 28, Jesus says, after I'm raised up, I'll go before you into Galilee. The angel says, go to Galilee. It's where he said he'd find you. It's where he said you'd meet him. See, there is an inescapable, inseparable link between your beliefs and your actions, what you really truly believe and what you do. And scientists love to experiment with this. <laughs> there are some fun experiments in science. Some of you uh, younger people may find that hard to believe as you're, you know, scraping rocks on tiles and, you know, different things. There are some sciences that may be fun and exciting. One experiment that scientists loved, they did this a few years ago. They took a person and they sat them down and they had two of those brown glass medicine bottles, right? And in those two bottles, they opened a bag of sugar. They poured sugar into the first one and sugar into the second one. And then they gave that person two labels, one that said sugar and one that said cyanide, poison, okay? So, they that person labels whichever bottle they wanted to, okay? Then, the, then they brought, the scientists brought two bottles of water, two glasses of water, and they poured the contents of the bottles into the glasses, and they stirred it up and said, which one do you want to drink? The person knew what was in both of them, but out of 50 people, 41 of them still said, I want the one that says sugar. <laughs> they, they were sitting right there. They saw it. They were the ones who labeled it. But deep down inside, you know, the stakes are just too high, I just don't, I'm, I have some doubt, and I'm just, so I have to act on what I know to be true. And see, scientists can play around with this, but this is what we're seeing, this is what we're realizing and learning in this, that if I really, truly believe that Jesus is alive, then I'm going to act like He's alive, right? I'm going I'm to follow through with that. I'm going to live that way. If we correct our beliefs with truth, we will live out our lives according to the truth and according to the facts of Jesus' resurrection. It's a link that's in Titus 1 and 2. It's in your notes. Again, we can't turn there, but to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure, he says. Both, but both in their minds and their consciences are defiled, God says. But here's what he says. They profess to know God. They say, I know God. But they deny him. How does it say in, in, in Titus? He says, by their works. I know God. 
But when I live, I don't really know him. And that's the link that we're learning. It's the link that we're seeing. Those, those verses that are in your notes, don't just skip over them. Don't just, you know, read past them. Take the time to study these things and learn and grow in these things. Now that you believe that Jesus is alive, we've corrected the false wrong belief. Now act, now go and tell his disciples. And brothers and sisters, we have a similar charge to go and tell, make disciples of all the nations, as he said in his word. Now listen, this is amazing. This is so, this hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, How many of the people here at this time saw Jesus rise from the dead? How many of them were actually there in the tomb when he rose? None of them. They had his word to go on, right? Now, some of them got to see him resurrected and walking around with that body. But we have the same thing. We just have Jesus' words. And that's what he tells us to believe. And that's why he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Because this is true. This is the truth. And this is the, these are the facts. And we've got to believe these. We wonder sometimes with all of the available proof and the evidence, you know, how come, people, how come more people don't believe in the risen Jesus? But we know because we've been studying that faith does not come by sight, right? It doesn't come by seeing this or seeing that. Seeing is a lot more comfortable for many of us. It's it's a lot easier for many of us. It's easier to understand, but we're expected to not see yet believe because of his word, his word that has been proven true, the word that tells us that he's alive. So when doubts come into our mind, and they will, from our flesh, from the world, from Satan, wherever. What do we do with those doubts, those fears? I wonder about this. I might might turn to the world traditions. I might get sad. I might get worried. I might get anxious. I might go down the wrong path. What do we do with those thoughts to keep ourselves from going there when we believe that Jesus is risen from the grave? 2 Corinthians 10 tells us to take every thought captive. To what purpose? Just, Just so I can feel better? You know, I got some doubts, so I just, I take that thought and throw it away, and then I just feel better miraculously. No, he says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. (laughs) Our life is going to be different. We take all of those thoughts from the world and from the lofty opinions, the, the doubts and all of those things, we just crush them under the truth of Jesus' resurrection, his living Lord and Savior that we love and we follow and we adore and we worship, and we obey him. Our life is different. In Romans 1, the people who have changed the truth of God for a lie, what did that lead them to? They start worshiping the creation rather than the creator, the one who's blessed forever. You see, so wrong beliefs lead to wrong actions. We saw some of that in the women. We can see it within ourselves way too often. But when we correct our beliefs, we start on the inside. That's how God changes us from the inside out. Our actions will align with the truth when we truly believe the truth. Is there anything else that could stand in our way? Well, number three in our notes, in verse 8 of Mark 16 here, fear. Fear is a great hindrance. Fear can cause us not to obey. Fear can stand in our way and be an obstacle for us. These ladies run out of the tomb. They say nothing to anyone. Why? Because they're afraid. What are they afraid of? Well, it doesn't tell us. And really, it's not altogether important what they were afraid of, because if it's anything other than the fear of the Lord, it's blocking our obedience and living out the truth. And it's blocking what we say we believe and what we really want to believe and want to live out. But Jesus, the risen Jesus, does not give us a spirit of fear, right? 
the fear that's coming to block us, we know that that's not from the Lord. If we're afraid, we need to know that that's not from our risen Lord because He gives us a spirit of power and love and self-control to do what He's told us to do, to obey, to grow in holiness, to love the people around us, right? Therefore, we have nothing to fear besides God Himself, but not as a, a fear where I'm just trembling before Him and can't do anything or say anything. It's a fear before Him where I fall down on my face and I believe and worship and love and obey. Christ does not give us fear as an option. It's not an option for us. He can't give us fear because God is love. Jesus is God, and perfect love casts out fear, First John tells us, right? It's, Jesus doesn't give us an option of fear. Fear of man, fear of idols, fear of false gospels, fear of anything else in this world that does not come from the risen Jesus Christ, we throw it out. We take that thought, that, those thoughts of fear captive and we crush them to obey Christ because he's alive. When we believe, when we, when we fear God, we love our risen Savior and God, there is nothing to fear. Hold fast to him. When you do, when you really hold fast, when you really believe, your life will look different. And when you start to see cracks in the walls of the, the heart uh, of worship, your worship center of your heart and who you're worshiping, you start to see cracks in the walls, again, don't try to fill in the cracks on the walls, but get down to the foundation. What am I believing? What should I be believing? Take all of that captive. Our application this morning, what, would, what, what do we do with all of this? How, how do we put this into action? Well, the first application is Jesus is risen. Say, what do I do with that? You need to repeat that. <laughs> you, you need to re- remind yourself, remind others about this is the truth. This is the fact that he's a real in life, and it should affect every area of our life. Don't just think about this during Easter. His resurrection is the reason that we live now and the reason for li- the way that we live why we live the way we do. If he's still dead, if he's just some moral teacher who lived long ago, it's not important what he said. It's not important to live for him and love him. But he's not a a dead moral teacher. He's a risen Savior, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He's alive. Next in our application, you have hope for the future. Again, hope not as the world gives, not as the, I don't know if it's going to happen or not, sure hope it does. That's not the hope that we have for the future. Again, this is the hope because Jesus rose, he will return, and when he does, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's the Lord in the future. That's why he says in John 14, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come and take you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. He's risen, he's victorious, and we hope in that, the the assurance hope, the, the complete hope, the total hope, knowing that it's coming, that He's coming. It's not if, but when. Finally, in our application, you have hope now. We don't just have hope for the future, like, well, one day, you know, this will all make sense, and one day this is all going to be okay and all that. No, we have hope now. If you don't see it, if you're not sure, take inventory of what you believe. What are you believing? Do you believe that you're a sinner? totally unable to help yourself. You can't stop sending. You don't know how to do it. You don't know where to go. Or do you think maybe I'm just not all that bad? Do you see that you are a sinner? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that your sin has made you deserving of God's full wrath forever? Do you believe that? Do you know that to be true? Or or do you think somehow I'm just going to avoid it one day? 
right? God God likes me. I'm okay. He and and I are okay. He'll just look past all that stuff, right? It's not a given to be forgiven. Do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know that that makes you fall under His just wrath forever? Do you believe that Jesus lived the perfect life that you could never live? That He was fully pleasing to God, or was Jesus just some storybook character? Somebody that, you know, we talk about in church, but it doesn't really matter to me during the week. Do you really believe that this Jesus is the perfect sacrifice? Do you believe that he took your sins and that he paid the penalty of those sins on the cross and that he gave you his perfect righteousness? Or do you think it's just a nice example of someone dying for what they believe in? Take inventory of your beliefs and and what you believe to be true. Do you believe that he rose from the grave three days later in truth? in your life, or do you think it's, it's a nice statement and we say that, but I don't really know what it means to the rest of my life. Do you believe all those things? Here's why we ask, again, if you believe in these things, they will have implications in your life, will live and speak differently. If you believe that Jesus is who He said He is and did what He said He did, your life is no longer your life to live in sin or your own desires. Your life has been purchased by God in the sacrifice, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And now we lay our life down for Him. We deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him. And so we can tell whether we believe this and how much we believe this based on how we're living, how we're acting, what we're saying. But if we see problems, if we see the areas, we don't just try to fix ourselves. We don't just try to make ourselves better or do better next time. We fix the truths and we hold fast to them. And we won't be able to do it perfectly, but we'll do it more often every day. And that gives us certain hope. Now, finally, believe and live the truth. Again, knowing is half the battle. (laughs) Living it is the rest. Why does Mark end this way? You know, if if verses 9 through 20 um, was not original to Mark, why does he end it this way where the ladies run away in fear and then that's it? You know, the disciples have fled. The women run and tell nobody. The story's not over yet, right? We know from the other Gospels, the ladies meet Jesus. He overcomes their fear. They go and tell the disciples, Jesus overcomes their fear, and they begin to go and tell everyone. Now, we've got the same message. We've got the same responsibility. Go and tell. Tell ourselves. Tell one another. Tell the world. He is alive. We need to know that, and we need to live that. Father, we praise you for that truth. We thank you, God, that your son, Jesus, is alive. God, because he's alive, as the song says, I can face tomorrow. (laughs) Lord, because he lives, I can face today. Lord, I, I woke up this morning because he woke up from the grave. Father, he is our hope. He is the truth. Father, he is the tr- the way, the truth, and the life. God, we can't come to you except through him. So, Father, I pray that if there is anyone here who has not trusted Christ, really, truly believed this message, God, that you would show that to them and that they would humble themselves before you, God, and cry out to you as Savior and Lord. Father, that they would come find me or one of the other pastors here, go to the information counter, find someone that can tell them the story and help them with the truth of what to believe. God, the world offers so many answers. The world offers so many solutions, so much wisdom from itself, but God, all of it falls short, so far short. 
from what your word teaches us and what it says, the truth that you have told us. God, I pray that for all who have believed in Christ Jesus would continue to believe and that we would grow in our belief, in our faith, in our knowledge, and then the implications of that knowledge, Father, that we know that you love us and that we love you and that we love others, and God, that we need to act different and live different and be different because our Savior is alive. We praise you. We celebrate that. We worship you. And God, we give our all, our whole selves to you for your glory because of your grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.